On this episode of Mixin' Some Magic, I am covering the top 20 questions that I get over and over and over about going to Disneyland. We're going to talk about it all. There's going to be tons of helpful information in this episode. If you're visiting Disneyland in 2024, this episode is for you. Hi, I'm Melissa with Mixin' Some Magic. I'm a Disney planning expert and I'm here to mix a little magic into your day. Each week I share Disney vacation planning tips, park strategies, and a little bit of Disney history sprinkled in. Of course, I like to include lots of Disney magic. Join me, let's mix in some magic. Hello and welcome! I'm so happy that you're here. Welcome to the first episode of Mixin' Some Magic in 2024. It's 2024. I'm really, I'm happy about it. 2023 had some highs and it had some lows, but I'm ready for 2024. I think it's going to be great. There's a lot to look forward to this year and I'm just excited about it all. Especially excited about this episode. We're going to be talking about so much helpful information if you're visiting Disneyland in 2024. You're going to want this episode. It's going to be really helpful. That's my goal, anyway, that it will be helpful for you. But I hope you had a happy holiday season, a happy New Year's, Christmas, all of that, and that you're ready to jump into 2024 just like I am. Before we get going, I want to thank everyone who filled out that Google form for feedback on my podcast. It was so helpful, so very helpful. There were so many great ideas on topics and guests and all kinds of things, and I really appreciate it. So if you filled it out, thank you so much. I have entered in every single name of anybody who filled out that Google form into a drawing for a $25 Disney gift card. And I'm happy to announce that the winner is Amanda Turley. So Amanda, I have sent you an email. Check your email. You'll find all the information that you need to know in that email. So thank you so much. Congratulations to Amanda. But thank you to everyone who filled out the Google form. It was so helpful and I appreciate it so much. I do have an exciting announcement. I now have a Patreon membership group. Is that what it's even called? I don't even know. I'm totally new to all this Patreon things, but I have had a lot of people in the Google Doc suggest that I have a Patreon group as a way for people to help support the podcast. If you didn't know, this podcast is entirely created and run by me, and it's free to listen to, but it is not free to create. So I put my own money into this every single year to make this podcast for you. And I buy my equipment and I buy subscriptions to different editing software programs and I buy books and things like that so I can do research into topics, different things like that. So it's not free to create, but it is free to listen to. And I always want it to be free to listen to. But on the suggestion of many of you, I have started a Patreon group so that people who are wanting to contribute to mix in some magic and help support me so that this podcast can remain free, have a really easy option to do so. But I didn't want to just create a Patreon and not have some really awesome benefits to go along with it. So I've created this Patreon group. There's three different levels. 
And there's some pretty awesome benefits that go along with each level. And I'm actually super excited about it. So let me tell you about tier one, which I'm calling Pixie Pals. It's cute. I really thought long and hard about these names. <laughs> Longer and harder than I really should have. But tier one is called Pixie Pals. It's $5 a month. And with Pixie Pals, you get early access to podcast episodes. Podcast episodes in 2024 are going to start coming out on Thursdays, except for Patreon members. They're going to get them on Wednesdays. So you get the early access to podcast episodes, but they'll also be ad free. So any ads that I do run on this podcast, you won't hear those ads as a Patreon member. You'll also have access to bonus podcast episodes and content. There'll be certain episodes that I do extra things for, like this episode today is going to have a bonus section for just Patreon members. So you'll get bonus content and episodes. Plus, maybe my very favorite thing is you're going to be included in the Disney book club that I host every single month. It's so much fun. Each month we read a Disney book and then we have a fun, casual Zoom call where we discuss the book and what we liked about it and what we didn't like about it and different characters and all kinds of things. It's really fun. So we are reading a variety of genres within the Disney umbrella, I guess you could say. So no matter what kind of books you're gonna, you like to read, you're going to find something that you enjoy. Plus, it'll introduce you to some different things. Maybe you've never read a Disney autobiography, but you would really enjoy it. And you wouldn't know unless you came to my Disney book club. So anyway, Disney book club is included with the Pixie Pals membership. That's $5 a month. Next, we have the Magic Makers group. This group is $10 a month. You get all the benefits of the Pixie Pals tier, but you get even more benefits. So in this tier, you're also going to get a handwritten personal welcome letter from me. I'm going to send magic mail from Disneyland to you, and you will be entered into monthly giveaways. So every single month, I'm going to do giveaways all kinds of things, and you will be automatically entered as a Magic Makers member tier. <laughs> Does that make sense? I hope so. Then my top tier is Terrific Treasures, and that one is $25 a month. You get all the same benefits of the Pixie Pals. So you're going to get the Disney Book Club, early access to podcast episodes, ad-free podcast episodes, bonus content. You're going to get those that with Pixie Pals, Magic Makers, and Terrific Treasures, but the, the Terrific Treasures also get quarterly magic mail. So I'm going to send out some really cool things every single quarter to my treasures. Things like t-shirts and Mickey Mouse ears and pins, maybe treats from the park. It's going to be different every quarter, but it's going to be good stuff. I'm excited about that. So you're going to get the free quarterly magic mail, plus you're going to get free planning phone call up to two a year. So if you don't know, I do Disney planning phone calls where I help people plan their vacation. I charge $40 for these phone calls. They last about 30 minutes. And as one of my treasures, you get two free planning phone calls every single year. So we can like chat about your Disney vacation. I'm so excited. Those are my favorite. I love the planning phone calls that I get to do. Plus, I'll love you forever. So those are the three membership options, Pixie Pals, Magic Makers, and Terrific Treasures. 
If you are so inclined, if you want a way to support Mix and Sub Magic, then this is a great way to do it. Plus, I hope it gives you value. I hope there's like things that you get out of it that you will enjoy. That's my whole goal is to give you something great in return for your support of Mix and Sub Magic. So I will put a link to all of this. You can check it out, see what you think. And I appreciate it. I appreciate it so much. So if you're able to become a Patreon member, then thank you so much. I appreciate your support. If you are just listening, then that's great too. I appreciate you listening. Thank you for being here. I love it when you just listen. That is support too, and I appreciate that. If you are just listening, you could share with your friends too. That's a free way that really helps too. When people share with their friends, when they leave um, reviews, that helps a ton. So however you are supporting Mixins and Magic, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll dive right in to all kinds of helpful information. I'm going to answer 20 of the most common questions I get about visiting Disneyland. We're going to answer all of them. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Mix and Some Magic. Our episode today is sponsored by Smart Labels. Are you tired of searching through countless boxes trying to find the one item you desperately need? Well, say goodbye to the chaos and welcome to the future of organization with Smart Labels. Smart Labels are a QR code label that will revolutionize the way you manage and find your belongings. Available in vibrant color-coded sticker sheets, Smart Labels helps you create a streamlined system for anything, from crafts and toolboxes to baby clothes and beyond. All you do is download the user-friendly app to track and manage labels effortlessly. You can organize your storage by adding photos, names, and descriptions, which make it a breeze to locate your items. Forget the stress of trying to remember where your items are stored. Each label carries a unique identifier enabling you to digitally organize your stored belongings and find anything in minutes. Simply tell the app what you're storing and where. Use the search tool to locate your items and the app will guide you to the container's location, color, and ID. Smart labels make moving a breeze. They're perfect for organizing moving boxes and totes in storage units, and they're great for storing Christmas decorations. These labels save you the hassle of opening each box to find what you need. Upgrade your organization game with smart labels because finding what you need should be as easy as scanning a code. Get yours now using the link in the show notes. All right, welcome back. Let's just like jump right in. Here we go. 20 of the most common questions I get all the time. Number one, these are in no particular order either. So it's not like number one is more important than number 20. They're all equally important. Number one, what are the must-see attractions for first-time Disneyland visitors? Ah, this is a hard question. All of them? Must-see all of them? I don't know. I love them all. If you are a person who has visited Disney World, then I would want you to focus on attractions that aren't available at Disney World that you can only get at Disneyland. Those would be the must-see attractions like Indiana Jones, Guardians of the Galaxy, like, you know, those kind of things that you're not going to get over in Walt Disney World. 
Um, if you are just a first time Disneyland visitor, I would definitely say make sure you hit some of those original rides, especially the ones in Fantasyland. A lot of people skip those over because they don't think they're going to be any good, but they are so good. They are classic like Disneyland at its very heart and soul. I would want you to go on some of those original opening day type attractions like Peter Pan and Snow White, those kinds of things. There's also the classic attractions that you don't want to miss. Jungle Cruise, Pirates of the Caribbean, It's a Small World, Soarin' Over California. Those are all amazing. And then the thrill rides are just so fun. Like Matterhorn, you have to ride it at least once, even though it's wild and crazy. You got to ride it so you know what that means. When people talk about getting their spine adjusted on the Matterhorn, you don't really understand until you've ridden it. So you got to ride things like that. Indiana Jones, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, all of those. So all of them are must-see attractions for first-time visitors, but really you need to like think about what's important to you because oftentimes you're not going to be able to see and do everything. So pick out your very favorite, like things that you think you will enjoy the most, things that you're most excited about, and then focus on those. Okay, number two, how can guests make the most of their time in the park? So it doesn't really matter how much time you have to spend at Disneyland. You just need to make sure that you are making the most of the time that you have. Obviously, it's great if you have more time to spend, but you can still get a ton in, done in one day. If you only had one day at Disneyland, I would be like, okay, we can do this. You're going to be able to see and do a ton of things, but you really do need to optimize your time, which means making a plan of some sort. Maybe you're not one of those that wants like a detailed step-by-step -step follow this plan type of person, but if you have some sort of general outline, that will really help you maximize your time in the park so that you can do everything that is important to you. So I would suggest asking the people in your group what is most important to them. Or if you have very little kids, what do you think they're going to enjoy the most? Like is meeting characters high on their list? Are there certain rides that people really want to do? Are they looking forward to the parade, fireworks, those kinds of things? And then prioritize those attractions and experiences so that you make sure you get that done. You don't want to wait until the last minute to ride Space Mountain when that's what people have been looking forward to the very most and then it breaks down and you're not able to do it. Something like that would be terrible. So prioritize the things that are most important to your group. I would also say getting there for rope drop which means arriving about 45 to 60 minutes before the park opens will really help you maximize your time if you don't have a lot of time to spend in the parks. Rope dropping just gets you to the very front of the rope. So what they do is Disney will start letting people into their parks about 30 minutes before the parks officially open. They won't let you ride any rides. They will stop you in front of the castle or in front of Adventureland or in, at the end of Buena Vista Street. If you're over in California Adventure, they'll put up a rope and they'll stop you. And then as soon as the park opens, they drop the rope and they let you in to the park to start experiencing attractions. So if you are there in time for rope drop, you are ahead of the majority of people. So say the park opens at eight, but you got there 
at seven. So you already went through security. You already scanned in your ticket. You got to the front of the line for rope drop. And now you're able to go ride Pirates of the Caribbean and Haunted Mansion and Indiana Jones with barely any wait time because you're like getting on a ride at eight o'clock a.m. when the park opens. And a lot of people are just barely getting to the parking lot or they're just leaving their hotel or they're just waking up for the day. So you are ahead of all of those people. Even the people who are getting to the park at 8 a.m., they're hit with large crowds going through security, going through the ticket booths. And so there's going to be probably like an hour before they are riding on rides. So you're beating all of those people by getting there early and doing rope drop. I've also found it very valuable to stay until the end of the night, especially the later the park closes, the more valuable it is. So if the park is closing at midnight, between 10 p.m. and midnight, you're going to have very low wait times for most attractions as well. So if you have a limited amount of time rope dropping and staying till the park closes, we like to call it ride stop because you stay until the ride stop. Rope drop to ride stop. I coined that phrase with my cousin and we're super proud of it. <laughs> anyway, that will really help you maximize your time. Uh, I could go on and on about this forever, but we better move on to the next question. Okay, number three, what are the best strategies for navigating Disneyland crowds? Now, I talked about rope dropping in the last question. Rope dropping is super important for navigating large crowds if your goal is to get on as many rides as possible. That really helps. It's also helpful to use Genie Plus. Genie Plus will get you into the lightning lane Lightning lanes get you onto the attraction faster. It's not for every ride in the park. There's like 20 rides, I think, maybe 22 now, that utilize Genie Plus. Genie Plus does cost an extra amount per person, depending on the day of your visit. It's cheaper if you buy it with your ticket, um, but it is worth the money. If you know how to use Genie Plus, it can help you skip the longest lines. So, the, the lines that get the very longest at Disneyland are Indiana Jones, Guardians of the Galaxy, Space Mountain. Those ones get super long and Haunted Mansion Holiday if you're visiting during the holidays. All the other lines get long too, but those ones get the very longest. So if you have Genie Plus and you prioritize those lines first, those attractions first, then you're going to get on them quicker, you're not going to wait as long, and then you're going to be able to use your Genie Plus later in the day to ride other attractions without those longer wait times. Like Autopia, you can ride just about any time without waiting for your Genie Plus. Because lots of times you'll go to book a Genie Plus and it'll be two hours out or three hours out. If you've used your Genie Plus to book your lightning lanes for those bigger attractions that you know are going to be more crowded later in the day. If you book those first, then you're able to book other lightning lanes quicker without having that delay and waiting longer in the day. Does that make sense? I hope so. It makes sense in my brain. Now, it's nice if things are super, super crowded and you're feeling overwhelmed, take a break. Like, take a break from those crowds. Go back to your hotel. Go and sit and ride the train. Go sit in great moments with Mr. Lincoln. Go draw in the Animation Academy. Go do something to get away from the crowds and take a break. That makes a huge difference too. And then as soon as you've had your break and you've kind of gotten away from the crowds for a bit, then you can dive back in and do it again. Especially midday, those crowds can get tough and 
can be hard to deal with. But if you have got there for rope drop and you already checked off a bunch of rides during the morning time and then you used Genie Plus efficiently and you've already checked a bunch of rides off your list using Genie Plus, by the time it gets to the super crowded later afternoon time of the day, you could feel like you could take a break and go back to your hotel to swim or take a nap or something like that because you have already accomplished so much earlier in the day and using Genie Plus, and then you can come back in the evening and get even more done, but still have that break time to get away from crowds. Okay, I hope that makes sense. Um, if you're feeling overwhelmed by the idea of crowds, if you're going when it's really busy, or you just that want to use Genie Plus but are worried about how to use effectively, I do have touring plans on my website that give you a step-by-step -step guide to the parks using Genie Plus. So there's one for Disneyland, one for California Adventure, and one that combines Disneyland and California Adventure into one day if you're feeling crazy and want to try to tackle both parks in one day. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes so you can check it out. Okay, number four, are there any insider tips for getting the most out of Genie Plus? Yes. <laughs> Genie Plus, a lot of people are really down on it because they don't understand how to use it. So if you get to Disneyland and you purchase Genie Plus and you have put no time or energy into understanding how to use it, it's going to be a waste of money for you. And I don't want that to happen to you. So I already talked a little bit about prioritizing those lines that get longer later in the day. That's super important. It's also important to realize that you can stack your Genie Plus lightning lanes. Now you normally you can't use a, or you can't book another lightning lane until you've used the first one but that changes if the return time that you just booked is farther out in the day. So say it's 11 a.m. and you just booked a Space Mountain but it is not available until like 4 p.m. So you book Space Mountain at 11 a.m. but it's the return time is until 4 p.m. That doesn't mean that you can't book another lightning lane until after you've used the 4 p.m. Space Mountain. You do have to wait two hours. So that means at one o'clock you can book another Genie Plus lightning lane. You'll still have your Space Mountain. It's still waiting for you at four o'clock, but you could then go book like Buzz Lightyear and maybe you ride by Buzz Lightyear right away and then you could turn around and book it's a small world and maybe you're able to use that relatively quickly and you can do that. So you are able to stack them if you pay attention. I always set an alarm on my phone. So if I'm booking a Genie Plus that's later in the day, I'll set an alarm on my phone to remind me when I can book another one. So make sure you do stack those lightning lanes if you're able to. But that is why I like you to book those ones that go out farther in the day earlier in the day so that you don't have those longer wait times. Because if you did Space Mountain first, if you booked that at 9 a.m. and were able to ride it at 10 or 10.30, then you don't have as long of a wait as if you wait for those um, bigger attractions later in the day. Does that make sense? Um, it can be overwhelming, but if you put a little time into understanding Genie Plus before you go, it makes all the difference in the world. So please, just figure out a little bit about Genie Plus. It sounds complicated, but once you use it for a minute, then you're like, oh, I see what's going on here. I know how to use this. I can do this. It's not really hard. You just have to kind of know how to do it before you're able to really use it effectively. So I have a whole post about Genie Plus. I'll put a link in the show notes. It just gives you a quick rundown so you can understand how to use it and hopefully be confident while you're using it too. 
Number five, what's the best time of year to visit Disneyland to avoid crowds? I don't know. (laughs) Disneyland is just crowded almost all the time now because Disney wants it to be crowded. Disney makes the most money when their parks are crowded, so they do everything they can to make their parks crowded. That's how they like it. That's what makes them happy. And so during times that are traditionally less crowded, like say January, February, avoiding holidays, of course, um, they'll do different special events or like now they have Lunar New Year to bring in more people during January and they're doing the kids ticket sale right now for $50 so that they can bring in more people during those slower times. So I have noticed over the past couple of years that Disneyland is pretty consistently crowded. Now, there's times where it's lower than other times and there's times when it's higher, but for the most part, it feels pretty consistently crowded. So I would say if kids are out of school, if there's a holiday or kids are out of school, you can plan on it being a little bit busier. If it's a major holiday like Christmas and New Year's, you can expect it to be a lot more crowded. But any other time of the year, you can expect it to just probably be consistently crowded. So I would say visit when it's most convenient for you to visit. Don't stress about trying to find the two days a year that are going to be the very lowest crowds because we just don't know. Chances are those days could be higher crowds anyway. um, You could just expect it to be crowded. But luckily, especially if you're rope dropping and using Genie Plus, the crowds aren't going to be a problem. You'll be able to get on every single ride that you want to do. You'll be able to meet characters and have your dining experiences and all of that, even though there's lots of other people there. It's going to be okay. And I do think that going into your vacation knowing that it's going to be crowded helps a lot too because then you're prepared mentally and it's easier to deal with if you've already mentally prepared yourself. Okay, number six, how can visitors save money on tickets and accommodations? I talk about getaway today all the time because I love using them to book my hotels and my Disney tickets. I haven't paid full price for a Disney vacation in like 17 years, 18 years. It's been a really long time because I booked through Getaway Today. They are the number one ticket provider to the Disneyland Resort and their tickets are always discounted off the gate price. Plus, they have lots of great sales. Like lots of times they have like an adults at kid price sale where you can save a ton of money or they have a buy four days, get the fifth day free and you can save a bunch of money using that. So they're always having great sales. Even if they're not having a sale, their tickets are still discounted off the Disneyland gate price. So you're always going to save money booking through them. Plus they have such good deals on hotels. So I try to combine my tickets that I'm buying through them on a discount at a discount with one of their hotels that has a free night offer. So a lot of their hotels will be like stay four nights, get the fifth night free or stay three nights, get the fourth night free. So I combine it with that so that I'm getting a free night and it really saves a bunch of money. Also, if you can book in advance, that will save you money too. The closer your vacation is, to when you're booking your hotel, you're, the more you're going to pay in most cases. Because hotels, when you get to be, you know, like three weeks out, two weeks out, 
hotels know that you're going to be desperate so they'll raise their prices and then you're probably going to end up paying more so you don't want that to happen so if you can book in advance then you're going to save money especially if disneyland announces some event that they're having that people weren't planning on then all of a sudden the hotels are like oh this event's happening or if a business announces a conference or something like that, then hotels, as soon as they get wind of that, they'll raise their prices so they can make more money. But if you've booked in advance, then you've locked in those lower prices and that can save you money as well. Number seven, what are the top dining options in Disneyland and are there any hidden gems? Oh, yeah, this is hard. There's so many great dining options. One thing I love about Disneyland is you don't have to have dining reservations to get really great food. So if you've been to Disney World, they don't have a bunch of quick service options. Most of their good food, you're going to need a dining reservation to get. And that's not the case at Disneyland. They have, I mean, they have dining reservations available, but a lot of their food options are quick service, which means they're cheaper, they're quicker, and a lot of them are really, really good. So some of my very favorites are, I love the Plaza Inn. You don't have to have reservations unless you're going for the character breakfast in the morning, but during lunch and dinner, no reservations are required. You can walk right in and they have fried chicken that is so good, mashed potatoes and gravy, and they usually have a cake and it changes depending on the season, but I love cake. So I love their slice of cake. I love that. If you are excited about Blue Bayou, then it is pretty yummy but I don't go there very often because it is so expensive and they only have the Monte Cristo for lunchtime. So if you're interested in the Monte Cristo, you got to visit Blue Bayou at lunch or you can just skip Blue Bayou and go to Cafe Orleans because they have the Monte Cristo sandwich all the time. So I do like Plaza Inn. I like Cafe Orleans. One of my new favorites right now um, for quick service is the Daisy's Diner. It's new. It's over in Toontown and they have these pizza flop overs that are really good. It's like they've just taken a piece of pizza and they fold it in half, kind of like a quesadilla and they're really yummy. They also have mini corn dogs for kids, but I've gotten them a couple times because they're really yummy too. Um, what else? I love Bengal barbecue. They have their meat skewers. Those are always a really good option. One of my favorites that I think is often overlooked is Troubadour Tavern. They have baked potatoes there that are really yummy. They like load them up with sour cream and butter and chives and bacon. Those are really yummy. Over in California Adventure, I love brunch at Lamplight Lounge. That only happens on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, and you usually need reservations for that. But they have some really good options for brunch, so I love that. I love Cocina Cucamonga. They have the Quesabiria tacos that are so good. They are so, so delicious over there. I love Pim's Test Kitchen. They have a bunch of different fun options over there. That's always really yummy. Um... There's just so many good things. Oh, the Cozy Cone over in Cars Land. They have these cones that are made out of bread. They're like bread bowls, but they're cones. And then they'll put mac and cheese in them. Or I think they have a chili mac that they put in one. Those are good too. But there's lots of good options. And for most of them, you don't have to have dining reservations. So those are just a few of my favorites. And number eight, what is the difference between Disneyland and Disney California Adventure? And how can visitors plan for both parks? 
The nice thing about Disneyland and California Adventure is they are right across from each other. Like it'll take you two minutes to walk from one park to the other. Now Disneyland is bigger. It has more attractions. Disney California Adventure is smaller, but it's still really, really great. Some people say that California Adventure is just like a half-day park. I do not agree with that at all. I think if you really want to experience California Adventure, you need to be there for the full day. I like to like have two full days to really dive into California Adventure because although it is smaller... There's some really, really cool, fun things there. So there's a lot of things for any age at both parks. Both parks have great things for little kids. They have great things for teens, um, great things for adults. At both parks, they have great entertainment. There's so many great things about both parks. Now, if you were to tell me that you only had one day to spend, I would probably tell you to go with Disneyland just because it is more iconic. It's more classic. There's more of the classic attractions there than over in California Adventure. So if you only had one day, I would say do Disneyland. Number nine, are there any special events or festivals that guests should plan their visit around? There's so many special events and festivals. Disneyland lives for special events. <laughs> they really do. And they have announced a ton of them for 2024 in advance, which is amazing because usually they don't give us that information until sometimes weeks before and it's been so frustrating. So the very most popular are the holidays, which kick off in the end of November and go through early January. And then there's Halloween time. That happens is going to be happening August 23rd this year and going through October 31st. So those are the two main ones. But Disneyland also has Lunar New Year and they have the Food and Wine Festival and they're doing a Pixar Fest that's lasting all summer. And then they have all these after hours events. They have Oogie Boogie Bash, of course, that happens during Halloween time. They also have a Star Wars night. They have grad nights for those high school graduating seniors. They have Pride Night. They also have like a what's they calling it? A Disney Channel night? I think that's what they're calling it. They have a Sweethearts night. There's all kinds of special events that are happening throughout the entire year. So I would take a look at the Disneyland website and just put in like special events, things like that, and look at all the different options and see what sounds like the most fun for you. I love Lunar New Year. That one is super fun. Food and Wine Festival is fun. I mean, they're all great. So figure out if there's one that kind of stands out to you more than others, and then maybe plan your trip around that. Number 10, what are the benefits of staying at a Disneyland Resort Hotel? Uh, not many, to tell you the truth. Not many. And they are getting even smaller. So really, you're going to be close-ish to the parks if you're staying at a Disneyland Hotel. Um but you're still not that close unless you're staying at the Grand. If you're staying at the Grand, then you have a special entrance into California Adventure, which is awesome. If you're staying over at Pixar Place, um, you're, you got to cross like a busy street to get over to California Adventure. And then you still have to walk all through downtown Disney to get to Disneyland. So you're probably like, I don't know, 10 minutes, 10 minute walk from Disneyland. Disneyland Hotel, the Disneyland Hotel, you're maybe a seven minute walk. You got to walk all the way through downtown Disney. So you can't really say location is a benefit, maybe a, a small one if you're staying at the Grand, because there are hotels that are right across the street from Disneyland that are even closer than the on-property hotels. Um, 
people say it's a benefit because you get the Disney bubble where you're surrounded by, they, they say Disney bubble, meaning you're surrounded by the Disney magic nonstop. And I guess that's true, but I don't consider that a benefit enough to like pay what you have to pay to stay on property. Um, the biggest benefit, if you can call it that, is early entry where you get access to the parks 30 minutes before the park opens to everyone else. Now, they are changing it in just a couple of weeks in mid-January, where it used to be that you got to pick. If you were staying on Disney property, then you got to pick where you wanted your early entry to be. You could go to Disneyland or you could go to California Adventure. Either one didn't matter. Now they have switched it. So one day early entry will be happening at California Adventure. The next day it will be happening at Disneyland and they're just gonna go back and forth. So you don't get to choose your early entry park anymore, but you still only have 30 minutes. So it used to be you had 30 minutes, but all the Disneyland hotel guests were spread between the two parks. That's not the case anymore. You get 30 minutes, but all of those guests are going to be at one park. Now, before the closure in 2020, they had early entry for hotel guests and they got an hour in alternating parks. But right now it's only 30 minutes. And I think that this is a big disservice to those on-property guests who are paying a lot of money to be staying on property. I mean, it's significant, significantly more than almost all the other hotels around Disneyland. Um, and the 30 minutes, they don't, there's not even a special entrance for early entry guests. So most of the guests say they get their early entry at 7.30. Most of them will show up at like 7.20. And by that point, all the other regular guests that are trying to rope drop are already in line. So these hotel guests are getting in line with them They'll open up the parks at 7.30, which means early entry is starting, but these early entry guests are mixed in with all the regular guests just trying to get into the park. So by the time they get into the park, most early entry hotel guests have maybe 10, 10 15 minutes to really take advantage of early entry. It's just silly. They should have a dedicated entrance for guests and they should give them more time. Um, I'm kind of down on the benefits you get from staying at the Disney on property hotels because I just don't think there's very many and I don't think that it justifies the extra cost at least for me if you are staying on property they have really great swimming pools those are really fun it is fun to be in the Disney magic um and definitely take advantage of early entry but the best way to take advantage of early entry is by getting there extra early. So if your early entry starts at 730, I want you to be getting in line for early entry at like 650, 655, so that you are at the very front of the line. So before all of those people get there for rope drop, you're already in line. So you're ahead of them so you can really take advantage of your early entry. Um, okay, I could go on and on. I'll stop ranting. I'll stop ranting about early entry. Let's move on. Number 11, how can families with young children make the most of their Disneyland experience? This is fun. I Disneyland with little kids is just the best because you get to see the magic of the parks through their eyes and it is so wonderful. It's just, it's magical is what it is. I love it so much, but you really need to be mindful of your kids and what they can tolerate. I see parents all the time when I'm in the parks trying to push their kids to ride things that they're just not ready for. And 
it's kind of sad to see a kid like totally terrified crying in line because they don't want to ride Space Mountain but the parents insisting and on and on and on. So I would say go at your like know your child first of all and know what their limits are and don't push them to do things that they're just not ready to do. They're not going to be happy. You're not going to be happy and it really might backfire on you. You might force your kid to ride Space Mountain and then scare them half to death and they don't want to try to ride Space Mountain again until they're 25. So I would say know your kid's limits and take the day at their pace. If you have little tiny kids Go slower. Don't try to ride every single ride in the park in one day. Take it at their pace. Make sure you take breaks. Have lots of snacks. Do Go see shows. Go to like Toontown where they can be out of their stroller and running around and playing on the playground for a little bit. Do things to help them get their wiggles out so they're not just waiting in line all the time or strapped into a stroller. Also, make sure you take the snacks and like little treats and things so you can head off. A meltdown. I can't tell you how many meltdowns I have avoided by having some dumb dumb suckers in my bag. You see a meltdown coming, you pull out a sucker, all of a sudden everything's better. So know their limits, take the day at their pace, definitely have snacks, and just enjoy it. If they're really interested in something that you're doing, then let them do that. Don't try to rush them on to the next thing and go with the flow. Take the day at their speed and just kind of whatever happens, happens, but go with the flow. Number 12, what are the best spots for watching parades and fireworks? I prefer to watch parades and fireworks over by It's a Small World. Now, people love to watch them on Main Street. They love to watch fireworks, especially in front of the castle. And those are all great, but they get really crowded really early and... It's a small world. That area does not get as crowded as quickly. So it's a great place to see the fireworks. They put projections on front of the It's a Small World facade. And because the facade of It's a Small World is bigger than the castle, I think the projections there are better. You get more you get more from the projection show over on It's a Small World. And I really like watching the parade from that location too. Okay. Number 13, how can guests use the Disneyland app to enhance their visit? This is a good one. Disneyland app can do so many things. It can tell you wait times. That's probably one of the most valuable things because you don't want to be running across the park to try to get to Haunted Mansion when you don't know how long the wait time is. It also tells you if rides are closed down, which is super beneficial, especially for the same reason. You don't want to walk all the way across the park for Haunted Mansion if it's closed down. So you can use the Disneyland app to check that. You can use the Disneyland app to mobile order food, which is incredibly valuable, such a time saver. You can order food from most quick service restaurants and then you don't have to stand in line to order. When it's time to eat, you just push the button. I'm here, prepare my order and they make it and then you pick it up and it's amazing. You can also use the app to find characters. There's roaming characters that aren't listed on the app. They just kind of roam around like, uh, oh, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, Peter Pan and Wendy. They just will roam around Fantasyland. Captain Hook roams around Fantasyland. So they're not listed on the app, but things like Mickey Mouse, where you can find him, Tinkerbell, the princesses, those are all on the app so that you can see what time they will be available. So definitely check your app. You can like toggle over to characters. You can toggle to dining. You can check out menus. 
There's so many great things. Find bathrooms. Disneyland app is really, really awesome. Number 14, what are the height restrictions for various attractions and how can families plan accordingly? Disneyland has height restrictions for safety reasons. So please don't try to get around the height restrictions. That's just not safe and it's it's not a good idea. Don't do it. But I always recommend people measure their children before they go. So put your kid in their tennis shoes or whatever shoes they're going to be wearing at the park and measure them so that you know what rides they can go on. You can start talking about what rides they can go on and they're not hit with disappointment if they think they're big enough to ride Indiana Jones when in fact they are actually not. Now the magic number for a lot of people is 40 inches. When your kid hits 40 inches they can do a lot of the bigger rides at Disneyland like Big Thunder Mountain and Space Mountain and those kinds of things. So a lot of people love when their kids hit that 40 inch mark. Now even if your kids aren't tall enough to ride those bigger attractions if they're under 40 inches Disneyland is great at having a ton of attractions that your kid can still ride and you can ride with them like Haunted Mansion has no height requirement Peter Pan most of the Fantasyland rides maybe all the Fantasyland rides um, Pirates of the Caribbean there's no height requirement on that small world like all kinds of things over at Disneyland same with California Adventure there are going to be a lot of things your kids can do even though they're not tall enough for some of those bigger attractions which is really nice for Disneyland to have all those options because there's other amusement parks like Universal Studios you could take your baby to Universal Studios and they're not going to ride a single thing because there's just nothing for them. So I really like that Disney has included so many different options for different heights, but definitely measure your child before you go. Number 15, are there any unique experiences or tours that guests should consider? Disney has some really fun tours. They have a Happiest Haunts tour at Halloween time. They have a holiday tour and they have one called Walt's Main Street Story where you get to go up inside Walt's apartment and their tours are good. Um, there's some things that I think could be better about their tours, but in general, they're good. And if you are a crazy Disney fan and don't mind taking time out of your park day and don't mind paying extra to go on one of these tours, then I think they're worth it. If you only visit Disneyland like once in a lifetime, once every few years, I would say no. Don't waste your time doing that because you have other things to do that would probably be more fun and valuable with your time than paying for a tour. They do have VIP tours that are really fun. I was able to do one of those this year. Those are great. They're very expensive, but you get to go around with a VIP tour guide and skip some of those longer lines and they kind of take you <clears throat> through some of the history and they'll give you backstories and all kinds of fun information about the parks as you're walking around and they help you with dining reservations and shows and things like that. So that is a very valuable tour, also very expensive, but it is pretty great. Number 16, what are the essential items to pack for a day at Disneyland? I have so many ideas in my head right now. <laughs> I, I have a list. I'm going to put the list in the show notes of what I take in my bag, but I like to have everything I could possibly need. High on my list are sunglasses. I cannot walk around a park and squint. I just can't. I hate squinting so much. So sunglasses, sunscreen, hand sanitizer, chapstick, 
Um, things like I have a tiny little pocket blanket that I keep in my bag. So if we're sitting down for a parade, it's kind of like a tarp, but it folds up real small. Then you can unfold it and sit on that instead of the ground. Um, Advil, always have to have Advil in my bags because you just never know. At some point, someone's going to get a headache, probably you, and you really need to have that Advil to, to help you through. Um, chapstick. I think I already said chapstick. Anyway, I have a whole list. A hair tie. I always have a hair tie in my bag. Keep an eye on the weather. You might want a fan or an umbrella. Band-aids. I always keep band-aids in my bag in case someone falls down and skins their knee. You're ready to go, but also for blisters because if you get one of those hot spots on your feet, you can pop a band-aid on it before it turns into a blister. Save yourself a lot of pain and suffering. Um, those are just a few of the ideas off the top of my head. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can go and check that out for the full list of every single thing that I like to have at Disneyland. Number 17, what's the best way to handle the Southern California weather while at the park? The best thing you can do is keep an eye on the weather before you go. A lot of people assume that Southern California is just like a constant mild temperature all the time and lots of times it is, but it can get very, very hot especially at the end of summer and into the fall. And it can also get very cold in January, February, and then it can get rainy too. So being prepared is essential and you're going to want to have layers. So I always bring a sweatshirt with me. Even if it's hot during the day, those Southern California evenings can get chilly. So make sure you have a sweatshirt and just keep an eye on the weather before you go so that you can be prepared. If it's going to be rainy, then you're going to want to be prepared for that. If it's going to be super hot, again, you want to have a strategy for how you're going to deal with that. But staying informed of the weather before your trip is so important. Number 18, how can visitors make dining reservations and secure popular dining experiences? You can make dining reservations at Disneyland 60 days in advance, but there is no specific time that Disney opens these reservations. It's not like at 6 a.m. then they become available. And sometimes Disney doesn't even open them at the 60-day mark. And so you'll be up in the night checking because you're like, maybe they dropped dining reservations right now. They're like, nope. And then you'll check the whole day at the 60-day mark, still nothing. And then you check the next day and nothing. And then the day after that, they'll drop them. So you never really know. But start checking at the 60-day mark for those dining reservations if there's something that you're really excited about. Like Blue Bayou is hard to get, so you've got to jump on that exactly at that 60-day mark if you want to go to Blue Bayou. But then there's other dining reservations that are usually available no matter when you check. So you can always get on there. There's usually something available. But if you have something specific, make sure you're booking it at about that 60-day mark. You can also use mouse dining, which I have found to be very valuable. So they have a paid version and then they have a free version. I've done both. I prefer the paid version because the free version, you tell them where you want to dine and when, and then they send you an email when that dining opens up. And I'm not on my email all the time, so I usually miss those notifications. But if you do the paid version, then they send you a text when those dining reservations open up. So maybe you want Blue Bayou and it's full when you go to make the reservation. People drop reservations all the time. And so Mouse Dining will monitor that and then send you a text as soon as they become available and then you can jump on and book them. So I've had really great success getting hard to get dining reservations with Mouse Dining. So I'll put a link to them in the show notes 
notes as well so you can check them out. Number 19, what are the top souvenir shops and unique items to look out for? Disney has so many great souvenirs, although I do wish they had more Tinkerbell items at their parks. But over at the Emporium on Main Street, they have great things. The world of Disney and downtown Disney has tons of stuff too. Um, a lot of times, if you're looking at shops, you'll start to kind of see the same things over and over again. One of my very favorite souvenirs that is so unique is a silhouette. So over on Main Street, they have a silhouette shop. I've never actually done one of myself, but they have these artists who look at your profile and then they use scissors and they cut it out of black paper to make your silhouette and then they put it in a little frame for you. It's so cute. People do it with their little kids and their babies, and they're just the cutest. I've even seen people bring in pictures of their pets, and they'll do it for pets. It's really cool. It's a very cool thing that you really can't find many other places, and it's not very expensive either. So that's one of my favorite souvenirs to recommend to people. And of course, they just have amazing things everywhere. So I always tell my kids when we go, we give them their souvenir money, and then I don't let them buy anything until the last day. Because I learned if we're there for three days and they spend their souvenir money on the first day, chances are on that second or third day, they're going to find something that they really like. And oh, so sad, their souvenir money's gone. So I always make a little note in my phone of where things are that we see that they really like, what shop they're in. And then at the end of our trip, then they can make a decision about what souvenirs they want. And I know where they all are, but then they've kind of seen everything that is available. Okay, number 20. What are some lesser known attractions or hidden gems that guests might overlook but are worth experiencing? There's so many. Um, off the top of my head, Redwood Creek Challenge Trail over in California Adventure is so fun. It's a great way for kids to just run and explore and enjoy. So definitely that one. Animation Academy over in California Adventure as well, where you get to draw with a Disney animator, a different character. That's really fun. Over at Disneyland, I love Tom Sawyer's Island. A lot of people skip that, but they have so many things to explore. There's no lines to wait in. Your kids can explore caves, the pirate lair. Like They can search the island for the, the hidden treasure. Like It's very, very fun. So I love Tom Sawyer's Island. Also, the train is often overlooked, but that is a great way to take a break, and it's pretty fun. You get to go past the diorama of the Grand Canyon, and there's huge dinosaurs that you get to see on the train that a lot of people don't know about. So those are just a few of my favorite, lesser known, but definitely worthwhile experiences. All right, I'm going to answer a few more questions for my Patreon members. How can visitors make the most of character meet and greets and interactions throughout the park? This is a great question. I think it's fun to talk about. All right. We did it. We answered so many questions. I hope this was valuable for you. If, if I didn't answer your question, then just send me a DM on Instagram or email me at mixinsomagic at gmail.com and ask me your question. I'm happy, happy, happy 
to answer them. But I hope this was helpful for you. I hope it was informative and I hope it was fun. I had fun. I always have fun when I'm talking to you. <laughs> it's always a good time. All right. Thanks so much for being here. You are absolutely the best. I hope you're having a great day. <sighs> Sliding into 2024. I'll be back next week with something new. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk soon.